from the devastated island of Puerto Rico to the jungles of Colombia and Ecuador, Brad Charles and the Cubit Foundation seek to help those in need. No attempts to Americanize anybody, just friendship and their genuine efforts to make the world a better place. Today, we get to know Brad Charles and one of the members of his team, Brandon Wattenbarger, as they tell us a thing or two about their travels and about what matters most to them. This is where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Brad Charles of the Cupid Foundation is joining us today. Brad, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Appreciate the invite. <laughs> so so one, one reason why that's so funny is we're actually at your place. So paint the picture for those who can't see this because they're listening and it's a podcast. Where are we? We're in my backyard underneath the pergola. <laughs> And this is in Social Circle, Georgia, headquarters for the Cubit Foundation. And it is a beautiful part of the state of Georgia. And you guys are headquartered out here. Brad, by trade, you're a carpenter. Tell me a little bit about what you do. My bread and butter is interior trim work, interior carpentry, you know, crown and, you know, all the different moldings and setting doors and windows and building cabinets. And And most of the time... The people that you work for or your clients, where are they most of the time? Are they What part of the state? Mostly around Athens, Watkinsville. I try to stay out of Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Athens, home of the University of Georgia. So you're president of the Cubit Foundation. And as president of, of that organization, you travel around, you go to these different countries and you do things for people. Tell me a little bit about the Cubit Foundation and why you guys do that. Well, Cuban Foundation is humanitarian. I guess our focus and motivation is helping widows and orphans throughout the world. Recently, you took a trip to Colombia, and the organization works where in Colombia? What part of the country is that in? Most of the time, we fly to Bogota, but then from there, we will branch off to Cali, Pareda, a little city called Wapi various other places around Colombia, you know, helping, helping out churches, helping out people, people groups, you know, putting in water treatment facilities or wells or, you know, things like that. Um, helping a lot humanitarian wise. So you get from Bogota over to what is at the Pacific coast where Wapi is and Wapi is, is that a big town? What's that like? It's really tiny. It's, uh, I mean, I don't know how to relate it, but um, there are Indians that live in the jungle and there's Afros that live in the city and they work together. You know, some of them, you know, they harvest bananas or plantains on this side of the river and then the, then the indigenous, they, they stick to themselves on their side of the, the land. So you guys have worked with a particular group of the indigenous people there? Yes, we've been we've been working with him six or eight years now, and a good friend of mine. He is a kind of the chief of the community, but he's also like the pastor of the community. His name is Fernay Medjia, real good friend of mine, and we've helped them build. It's like a 
a church slash school, and the second story like houses missionaries that come out there and, and work and different medical teams and and things. So so that was a project we did, and we put a water filter system in for them. You've been there how many times? Maybe ten times I've been there. I, I get to that city, that particular village. Go back to the first time that you went there. So when you first met the indigenous tribe there, what was your reaction? Well, I've done, like previous to this, I, I've done a lot of work in Ecuador with the Waranis. And I'm not going to say it's old hat, but the I was kind of I was kind of used to it. You're the outsider. Yeah. Do you feel accepted when you're there? I do. I do totally, and I feel accepted and I feel protected. You know, they love me. I, I don't go in and say, "Hey, this is what you need." I say, "Hey, what do you need?" And then I'll I'll do whatever they think they need. You know, I don't try to push that America onto them. So I think that was a, that's a big difference. Why they they accept me and and everybody that I bring. What is life like there? I mean, it's pretty awesome. They wake up and eat plantains and (laughs) they go hunt and they'll go catch some fish and they'll go sell some plantains or fish and start all over again the next day. So what are some of the ways that you have seen that indigenous community grow or change through the last six or seven years? I guess what I've noticed with that community in particular is uh, they have their own kind of a, a shop and they make jewelry and they, they make little little things and they carve things and they go sell them throughout Colombia and that generates money for the community. They kind of needed to start that. I mean, they're artistic people and to start that, we kind of invested into the community with buying them tools. They have tools now and they can fabricate more jewelry and more baskets and all kinds of things and they can go out and sell. So we didn't like necessarily try to Americanize them, but we helped them start off, you know, and they took it from there. Okay. So that's a great question. How do they think differently that maybe isn't Americanized or isn't the way that we might think in the West it's kind of like the whole community thinks for the community. I mean, it's, it's really unique. There's an old guy named Alejandrino, and he, he's the best carpenter there. And he's the one that, that trains them all. Like Alejandrino, he doesn't like to go to the city. He teaches them, and then the, then the other guys go off and sell the stuff that they make. I'm noticing you have on uh, some kind of a pendant there. What is that that you're wearing? Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's a dolphin. The, and uh, Alejandro made it. He's the, he's the older guy. So they make those things and then they sell them. Where do they sell them? They they go to different fairs and stuff throughout the country, to Bogota or Cali, and they'll have fairs on the on the weekends. And they'll go and they'll fly, or take buses, and they'll they'll tickle their stuff. They'll sell it all, and then they'll bring it back to the community, and then like build a swing set for their for the kids. It's really, it's really neat. They all kind of chip in together. And what's the name of the community? So Guapi is the small town, right? And then the indigenous community where your friends there live, Canaan. Canaan. Yeah. Okay. What's one of your favorite stories from the indigenous community in Colombia? I recall you saying something about the way that they would protect their boats. 
they have a little system. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So Alejandrino, that's um, Fernay's dad. He used to be the witch doctor in that village. And by used to, why not anymore? No, he, I mean, he got, he got saved. He accepted the Lord and uh, he kind of turned all that down. And he, uh, everybody knew him as a witch doctor in that community and a witch doctor of that people group. And, but he got saved. So they had a nice fiberglass boat. They never had a fiberglass boat. They've always had to make their own out of trees, you know, chop the tree down and carve it out. So they had a nice fiberglass boat. And then one night, some of the guys from the city stole the boat. They never found it. So a couple of friends of mine in Columbia, they got some money up together and they, they bought another boat for them. And um, to protect the boat, Alejandrino took a old like Coke bottle, filled it with a bunch of leaves and feathers and crap, <laughs> and hung it from a, from a tree. And so they thought it had black magic in it. So that, they never, ever, ever stole another boat from. Them. So this is kind of funny. Talking today with Brad Charles, who is the president of the Cubit Foundation, and we've been listening a little bit. I've been learning from him about some of the uh, adventures that you guys have had in Colombia. Tell me about some of the trips you've taken to Ecuador. You know, I was always flown into Quito, one of my favorite places in Ecuador throughout the world is, is Baños, Ecuador. I love it there. But mainly the work that we've done in Ecuador was is working with the indigenous there also, the Waranis and the Shuar. Basically, we've helped missionaries that were there living in the community with the indigenous and we've built them houses and churches and community buildings different things like that and just learned a lot about their about their culture and just what different things mean and you know they use like toucan feathers and stuff for crowns and, and all that it's just it's really neat to learn different. Have cultures. you ever taken friends or colleagues back from the U.S.? Yeah, taken I've, I've taken a lot of people there. What is their reaction? I mean, w- one reaction, there's a kid that I, I used to youth pastor, and he's never been out of the country before, and he was 18. And I took him to the jungle in Ecuador, and we were the first people in this in this community, and the missionary was coming like two planes behind us. And so we got off the plane. The chief met us there. He had a little tiny shotgun and a spear, and he was about like four foot. And Bo, the guy with me, he's like six foot. And he looked at me. He said, I don't know about all this shit. <laughs> and so, so it was good, though. It was, it was, you know, we had a good time. And same thing. They accepted us because we're – we're there to help them, yeah. not. But they have a special drink, which you told me is is fantastic. Ch- ch- chicha, <laughs> it's, it's chicha, chicha. Okay, it, what is it? What it, is it? It is where all the women in the community sit around a big casuela and a big bowl, and they chew up bananas and plantains and spit into the bowl, and they cover it with like a cheesecloth sort of thing and let it ferment for about a week. And then they dip it out and serve it to their men. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your policy on something like that? You're, are you able to play like I'm an American, so I no thanks, I'll pass? 
I drink it. You know, I don't get drunk. It's like drinking a nasty beer, <laughs> you know, but it's just, I'm not into offending people, you know, as far as offending other cultures, you know, you get accepted a whole lot quicker and better if you just do what they do. So why do you go on trips like that? Dang. I mean, even since I was a, as just a, a kid, you know, traveling with my mom and dad around, I've always had just something in, in me that just pulled me to going to help doing projects, saving up money, raising money, and then go do another project and then go do another project. That's, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I've always done it. I just always had like this pull down deep inside and I've just always done it from first time we met, you know, in Mexico. That was 20 something years ago, but the same thing. I had like this pull to just go. So yeah, actually Brad and I have known each other for 20 ish years and we did meet on one of those trips to Mexico. It was like 4.30 in the morning. We were headed to the airport and we were meeting the group. And so everybody was kind of congregating and throwing their bags in the, the van, something like that. And again, it was before the sun had even come up. Of course, there I was with my hat on. And you came up and said, what, do you remember that? What's up, Panama Jack? <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a second. I wasn't sure, you know, whether I should be offended or what, but I knew in that moment I was either going to hate this guy or we were going to be best of friends. So Panama Jack, what's up, Panama Jack? So I want to move now to the Caribbean, to another place that you've been several times, a place you care a great deal about. You care a great deal about the people there, Puerto Rico. And of course, it was just a very, very active hurricane season. Hurricane Maria went through the Caribbean, did a lot of damage. In particular, it hit Puerto Rico very, very hard. That was why you guys at the Cubit Foundation chose to go down. What did you guys go to do and what did you see? We went to go help the the victims, um, putting on roofs and buying tools, buying materials, just doing whatever we could. We were there working with a friend of mine named Gene, Gene Jordan. He pretty much lined all the all the work details up for us. There's this little community of of squatters um, in a place called La Hormiga. There's a bunch of these little communities everywhere, all over Puerto Rico. But but this one we were able to work in. You know, a lot of roof damage, just a lot of damage just in general and we just went and and helped and i guess more than anything showed them that there's actual people that care about them it wasn't like skills only we had that we went to to help this it was just you know we we loved on them and showed them that we cared so i'd like you to introduce this young man here who is this is brandon my videographer yeah, so I was basically a last-minute addition to the trip. Brad knows me, decided he uh, would like me to go on the trip, and I guess my specialty is videography, photography, and so I decided to use some of that to help spread the word of what Cupid was doing down there in Puerto Rico. I just finished editing a video about the trip and about Puerto Rico in general and the devastation that followed Hurricane Maria, so that video will be up. It'll be on my website. It'll be on YouTube as well. So what did you see? Okay, I mean, you went down there to document it and to tell the story with video and photography. But what did you see? What's it like after the hurricane? 
what's crazy is when we went down there, six months had already passed since the hurricane, and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done down there. There's still a lot of visible signs of the destruction. One of the crazy things to see was you're just driving down the road and you see telephone poles and street lights at like a 45 degree angle just from the sheer winds really throws you off it gives you an idea of how powerful that storm was so when i went into that community i arrived a day or two after they had started working so they were kind of in their groove already and starting to put roofs on houses and decide which individuals needed most help in that community and starting to get their work in order for the rest of the week what was some of the reaction that you saw from some of the others on the trip that went to help and to serve with the Cubit Foundation. Yeah, what was really cool was I think many of the people that went on that trip, this was one of the first trips that they've had outside of the continental U.S. And so they really just got to observe what it's like to live in a place that's like Latin America. Technically, like you said, Puerto Rico is part of the U.S., so there is some of that influence there. You have some comfort in that sense, but it is another world and to expose people to that world really opens their minds and opens their perspectives to what really is out there and the need that exists beyond just your local community. I know one of the things that really affected some of the people was like Brad said, just talking to the people and just letting them know that we were there to help really made a lot of those people that were living in the community. They got emotional. And I think that really touched a lot of the people that went on the trip and to realize that, they just want somebody to care. And just knowing that, knowing that there's somebody out there willing to help, that makes a world of difference all on its own, even if you're not able to do something in that moment. Just that you're, you're there and you want to do everything you can to help either that person or that person's community. What were some of the most challenging circumstances that you saw? At least specifically with La Hormiga, one of the things that was one of the greatest challenges that I saw was these people weren't in the best of circumstances to begin with. So they were specifically really hurt by the storm and by the hurricane season. And so now that they have so much to deal with, they have so much, so many problems to overcome, they don't really have the ability to bounce back from that by themselves. One of the people that they helped was a guy who suffered from diabetes. So he lost a lot of his fingers and toes one of the things that he shared with us is that he loves to fish and he can't even, he can hardly even fish anymore. That's become such an issue. And so you can't really expect a guy like that to be able to fix his own roof. You can't get on a rooftop. These houses were also not in the best condition. So they were also really susceptible to the winds and to the, the strength of the rain. And we saw houses that you could tell just that the roof completely came off. We talked to this one other lady. She was a single mother, had two kids and her entire roof completely just came off except for one room. So having to repair that and figure out what they're going to do next was a serious challenge. Some people will tell you, you know, I mean, but the world is, there's just, there's a lot of suffering. You can't fix it all. You know, you're just one person. You're not going to be able to go out there and make everything better. How would you respond to that? I would say that the moment that you help one person, even if it's just one person, and like I said, even if you can't do everything for them, the moment that you really just see the look on their face when they know that you're going to help them, that tells you everything you need to know. That That's why people do it. That's why Brad does it. Because you're right, there, there's so much suffering and we can't end it all, but just to change one person's world is enough and you get hooked on it immediately. And I think that's also part of the reason why Brad does these trips is to take people 
that haven't done this sort of thing before out into the middle of nowhere and to help someone that they would have no connection with otherwise. And then to show them that there's this whole other world of service that you can tap into. And then once, once that person gets hooked on it, I know they, they want to do it for the rest of their lives. So is that a part of what the Cubit Foundation does or likes to do, Brad, is give other people the opportunity to experience other cultures, to go on an adventure, but also to discover real purpose in the process? I love taking guys that are, yeah, that have never been out of the country or just graduated high school, don't know what to do with their life, just graduated college, open their eyes a little bit. I thrive on that. If I didn't work, I'd probably do that full time. So what was it like working with this guy? His full name is Brandon Wattenbarger of brandonwattenbarger.com. How did he do? And have you guys ever, has he ever helped you on any other projects? Yeah, he's helped me since he was about two months old. (laughs) (laughs) He's been on a trip or two. Um, Brandon, you've been, uh, of course, name some of the countries or places that you've had the opportunity to see. Yeah, well, I guess the list includes Colombia. Went on that trip with him, I guess it was last year, the end of last summer. Colombia, been to Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, of course, Mexico, and a few other places as well. Okay, let's ask you a very open-ended question here. Why do you enjoy those types of trips? I mean, why do you go on a trip like that? I just think it's really interesting to, like I said, open your mind up to realize that life doesn't necessarily have to be the way that we make it here. There's so many other ways of living life and having an enjoyable existence. You go to places that are not as well off as the United States, and then you meet people that are living the happiest life that you can imagine, and they don't have what we have here. And it just gives you a new perspective of what really should make you happy. And it's also really cool just to see the differences between different cultures, the differences between what they value more. It opens up to a whole other world of being able to relate to people in a different way. It's like you're involved in a whole other world that exists that you never knew was out there before. What about you, Brad? Ditto. Yeah, ditto. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to remember the question. (laughs) (laughs) Puerto Rico. You guys went to Puerto Rico. If someone listening to this would like to help the Cupid Foundation in that project or in some similar project, What's the best way for them to get in touch with you guys? Um, I guess the website, cubitfoundation.org, C-U-B-I-T, foundation.org. Cubitfoundation.org. And then also we'll put a link to your website. We'll put a link on theedgeofadventure.com so uh, people can find it from there. And then, uh, Brandon, you made a video for the Columbia efforts that Cubit has. And then you also made a documentary of the trip to Puerto Rico. For more information, brandonwattenbarger.com or cubitfoundation.org. Both of those websites, we'll put links to those on the show page for theedgeofadventure.com. So uh, everybody can check those out. What are we going to see in the video? Yeah, well, my goal with the video was basically to share the experience that I had going on this trip. You know, there was two things that I was struck with. One was the natural beauty of Puerto Rico on its own. And that's something I think everybody should experience, whether it's Puerto Rico or any other Latin American nation. And then second was the work that the Cubit Foundation was doing down there. It really is moving to see the work in action. I know you hear about mission work all the time. You hear about 
going to other countries to help people, but seeing it in action and seeing the effects and seeing the people, I think is a different way that it can impact you. So I, that was my goal with the video, with the project. So please check it out if you have any interest. So my guest today for the Edge of Adventure podcast, we have had Brad Charles. Brad is the president of the Cubit Foundation and also the Cubit Foundation's videographer, Brandon Wattenbarger of brandonwattenbarger.com. And of course, we've already established that Brad is a longtime friend of mine. And if people couldn't already tell, I happen to know this guy, Brandon, and know him pretty well. He is my son, and I am very proud of him and the work that he has done. So with that, I want to thank both of you guys for joining us for the podcast. And again, all those links will be on our website at theedgeofadventure.com. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Dios te bendiga. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure, where we go beyond status quo. That was good. <laughs> Sorry about how the animals... <laughs>